This episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Times podcast is brought to you in part by No Judges Needed BJJ Apparel and Lavender Lane CBD Products. You can use the promo code JJT for 20% off your first order at No Judges Needed and the code JJTimes20, all uppercase, last two items are numerical, for 20% off your first order of CBD products. Thank you very much for sticking with us. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Times podcast. I am your host, Kevin Bradley, joined as always by my co-host, Kevin Gallagher. Uh, you know, here's the thing about this show. Uh, I, get a, I get the chance to talk to a lot of amazing people, but the problem with it being focused on combat sports is I'm, I'm never – we never have a guest where I can go, man, I could kick his ass. So whenever – Kevin comes to me saying he's got a guest. A part of me is really hoping, oh man, I hope it's like some some nobody, like loser guy who's like who lost all of his limbs in an accident. So I could go, yeah, I could take that guy. And then uh and then he told me who this week's guest was, and I just sort of died a little inside. Let me just <laughs> no, no. let me just introduce him for you. Uh lifelong martial artist, uh a boxer, boxing instructor, kickboxing instructor, a certified instructor of Jeet Kune Do. Longtime MMA coach with uh, a horde of successful athletes uh, under his belt. He's helped lead two UFC legends to championship titles. And a, probably most infuriating of all, this guy's in his 60s and has fewer gray hairs than I do. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> coming to us from New York, it is Ray Longo. Mr. Longo, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, anytime. And you could definitely kick my ass. I, got you on the, I, I definitely have you on the gray hairs, but you could definitely beat the crap out of me. Okay, he, he said it. He said it. All right. Well, I mean, I'll put it this way. I would, I would At least I hope it. you can. I mean, I hope you can. I wouldn't test that, Kevin. Yeah, yeah no. That, now, Kevin would kick my ass. Like, there's no winning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, something that we like ever given the state of the world, something we like to do uh, at this part of the show is just uh, whoever we're talking to ask how they're doing. You know, so so Ray, how you doing during the quarantine and and all that? You're in a bit of a hot zone state, so you know if yeah. you wanted to give us your your two cents on how things are going. You know, New York is getting the shit beat out of it, literally. Uh, and you know, there's been a couple of deaths that have been close to home. A lot of people I know have gotten sick, so it's a, it's a crazy time, man. It really is. I think I'm in the house five or six weeks now. The gym's been closed. You know, everybody was, the team, especially the up and coming guys, were on a roll, and uh, I think we were like fourteen and zero, like uh, for the, the, you know, the guys, you know, just at that level below the UFC, and uh, yeah, everybody's just shut down. I mean, look, I'm I, I'm doing fine. I'm still working out. I feel good. Uh, but it's, uh, it's starting to, it's starting to get old. I think, you know, how are at you this guys, point. how are you guys coping with the onset? First of all, do you have any fighters that are set to fight over the summertime in any cards coming up anytime soon? I know Maddie told me he's not coming until June. I, I had him on my other podcast the other day, but do you have any guys that are fighting coming up? And if they are, how are you coping with the, with, with the lack of a real fight camp? That's the question I asked Maddie, and he had a pretty, pretty good in, uh, answer for that. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, look, Matt definitely was the last guy that was supposed to go. So, uh, you know, he, he was definitely frustrated, but I did give him access to the gym. I thought he was 
He had a great sparring partner for his fight with uh, Roosevelt. I think his, his name is. Uh, yeah. And uh, that part I felt good on, but it's not the same. It just yeah. wasn't the same. He knows it wasn't the same. Plus, you got to realize, Kevin, every time you go out, like you're taking a risk, really. You know what I mean? Especially over here. So I was more concerned with his pops. You know, he's like my age. And I, I didn't really. That would have been, you know, they live together still. And that would have been a disaster. I said, you know, Matt, God forbid you get something, you take it home to your dad. That would that would bother me. So, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, I think everything worked out for the better. You know, they shut down that show. Uh, so I think he's looking to go in June, which gives us a little more time to understand what's going on. But I have Aljo, Aljamain Sterling, supposed to fight uh, Sandhagen on um, June 6th. And Weidman was trying to fight, um, who's this guy, the Joker? Um, uh, Hermanson, you know what I mean? So when I think Hermanson still can't get into the country, so he'll probably be pushed to July. And I'm sure, you know, between Frivola, between Maddie and fucking Marab, they'll be fighting in June sometime, I would think. What are you guys doing to uh, to get in shape? I mean, and how are you working around the fact that you just can't all, I mean, I don't know. I ain't trying to run nobody out, but yeah. how do you, how are you working around the fact that you just, it's just not business as usual. As much as you can get together and have smaller sessions and, and smaller individual maybe sessions and whatnot, it's never going to be the same as a real fight camp. How are you guys dealing with that? I mean, look, it's you, you, anything in life, you have to make adjustments, right? You're never going to – not nothing goes according to plan. So right. this is different because we had a really good camaraderie down here. Everybody was close. But even for Aljo now, so he's got – Iaquinta has a couple of people that are really good, up-and-coming guys, uh, Dennis Bazooka and this kid, uh, Nazim, living at his house. They've been quarantined for a while. So Aljo – uh, between those guys and Marab, he's 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 fine, and and they all know how to go through a training camp. Will will it be the same? I don't know. Maybe it'll be better. We don't know. But you know what I'm saying. But they for his fight, he's he's pretty well settled with really good guys to train with. And like again, everybody's quarantined, and Al's got a good setup at his house, and um and that's really it, man. So we'll we'll find out. But I think uh, they all know what to do. They all know how to fight. So it's really just getting in shape, getting your timing down, and they'll be ready to go. I had most of the people that I've spoken to, most of the fighters, the jiu-jitsu fighters and MMA fighters that I've talked to have pretty much said the same thing about that. The, the good thing about being you know, 23, 24 years old and a young kid is usually you're living with someone else that's your yeah. age that probably does the same thing. Fighters <laughs> tend to cohabit. So yeah. now I live with a black belt instructor myself, so we get to yeah. train a little bit here and there because it's just us too. I got mats in my backyard. So the right. fact that that's happening allows for these guys to be able to train. I'm but really I'm really lucky but, too just because both of my dogs are black belts in judo. So I'm getting around, <laughs> and, you know, just you're you're in the best shape. You got dogs. You can't go wrong with dogs. They get that get out of the house you go chase them around. Uh, yeah. You got you got but, any pets Ray? Or? I have a, I have a little dog, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Follows me around the house all day long. But but you know like again like you said Kevin, you could actually get better at this point in time because you could grab that guy and rep the piss out of shit. Right. You know what I mean? That maybe you overlooked that you did too much rolling, you know, without repping. So there's always a way to get better. And uh, I'm hoping that that's what happens with these fights. I think the lack of distractions is also a very big asset. I think it's, uh, you know, the fact that like you can't go out, maybe you can't go hang out with your girlfriend. There's no, you know, that's, there's no goals. Let's go see a movie or let's go hang out and yeah. do this and that you're stuck in your house. So because you're losing your mind, 
it's very easy to focus on the idea of, wow, here, I'm here doing nothing. What can I do? I could train with this dude. Exactly. I yeah. think, I think that's, that's pretty cool too. Yeah. And, uh, I think, you know, it, I don't want it to be the new normal, but something's going to come out of this. That's going to change a lot of shit, you know, and we'll I, see what happens. You brought up a good point about rolling with the punches too, because my, uh, I have a very good friend of mine, one of our old striking coaches, Eric Parker. I think you've met Eric Parker. Yeah, yeah, of course. No, yeah. Great guy. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, great guy. He he has a very interesting psychological approach. He was a SWAT team uh, uh, SWAT team member, and he, he got shot in the line of field. And he works – he has a product called Wintensity, which is a very good product that talks about the idea of how to get psychologically prepared for a fight. And one of his things he talks about is the difference between a warrior and a competitor. Now, sometimes competitors need to have everything perfect. You know, they want to sleep in their pretty little bed. They want to do all these things. But a warrior, you know, is like your special forces guy. They live in a hole in the woods, but they're ready to go all the time. So I think a lot what we're going to see now with these guys with these small training camps and the extenuating circumstances is they have to dig into that warrior spirit. They have to realize, hey, I'm not going to be able to do all the things I want to do. My routine is going to be thrown off. I'm not going to be able to do the things that in the prior cases I've been able to do for my fights. But. I got to get paid, and I'm a and I'm a warrior, so I just got to suck it up and get it done. Yeah, listen, man, you got to remember too. Back in the day, man, like when Matt was fighting, they weren't making money. Guys fought because they loved to fight. Right. Like if this was 20 years ago, this isn't even a problem. Guys were just jumping in there. There, there wasn't, you know, they weren't chasing the fame or the money. They really were fighting for the love of fighting. They weren't getting any money. So we're kind of going back to that now. If you really want to fight. You don't give a shit what the situation is. And that's really, I think, where we're at now. Now, we are used to camps, and as a coach, I don't want to send anybody in there that's not prepared. But, right. you know, everybody's kind of, it's kind of a level playing field, I think. Most people have to do the same shit. So I it, think, real quick, Ray, I, you're talking about, it's important that your your first instinct is talking about how the athletes are doing. You know, that's yeah. your, that's, that's been your, your number one priority, but uh, also I'm, I'm interested because you're, you're dealing with this too. And you're, you're having to see, you know, these up and comers sort of have their, uh, their, their careers like halted a little bit because the world yeah. is yeah horrible. Yeah. Yeah. How are, how are you doing? Like, how is that affecting you? Like seeing that? Uh, you know, look, I, I'm going to try to always be optimistic, but it, it, it is, uh, like when I stop and think about we're doing the interview and you, you're asking me, yeah, it kind of sucks because it's not, we don't, we don't like, we don't know where this thing is going. Like, even if we open up tomorrow, is anybody running to a restaurant? You run into a concert. So that's the, that's the difference. You got to remember, I promote fights also. So for a lot of these guys, um, you know, I provide, you know, like the ring of combat and uh, we have combat at the Capitale. So they get to be groomed and, you know, fight. But if you can't put on a fight, I don't know where these guys are going. The UFC at least is running fights. And as long as they do it in a safe manner, I'm totally behind it. But for the other guys, they might not be fighting until September, October, the best. You know, look, when this first went down, we postponed our first show till May 15th. We thought that was far away. That was enough time. Now it's not even close. We're not even going to be open on May 15th. So there's a lot of unanswered stuff that, uh, you know, I don't know. And it, it, it's not a, you know, look, again, we just said it. You got to deal with it. Like there's nothing you could do to change it. So it's only how you react to what's going on. And these guys will all be positive. But, you know, 
at the end of the day, no, it stinks, but we're going to get through it, and, and it is what it is. You brought up a pretty good point about the fact that small promotions are going to suffer way more than yeah. the UFC. And the, 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 the reason is is because you know the UFC has the luxury of being able to pull in Large money, yeah, 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 yeah. but they can pull in their money from from pay per view dollars. Like they can, they can put it up. I mean, when you're dealing with a small promotion, there's no such thing as pay per view dollars. You have to have asses in the seats to sell to spectators, and And you can't do that. Ain't no way you're filling an arena right now. Exactly, and if you can't do that, then you're not promoting. And if you're not promoting, those guys aren't fighting. But you know, Dana's got Fight Island. I'm gonna have Fight Basement. That's 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 where my budget is. We're gonna fight in the fucking basement. This guy's on a goddamn island. I'm gonna be stuck in a a basement somewhere. No shit. Unbelievable. So let's talk. I I just want to let you guys know that the title of this episode is gonna be Fight Basement. (laughs) Let's get into some good stuff. We talk about some good. That was good. That was good. I want to talk about some old school UFC skills. You've been around for a while. You come, we come way. We've been around for a long, long time. You go way back, and you have a very extensive martial arts background that we're going to get into. But I want to start talking about some of the things you remember from the early days and how maybe the UFC and even the general idea of what MMA is now has changed. Because I think a lot of these guys don't realize how good they have it compared to the way you might have had it coming up trying to promote fighters back in the day. Oh, no question about it. Well, look, the, the first thing, again, is there was a love of the sport. It was new. It was exciting to be around. It was like an arms race. Everybody was looking for better ways to train. And, you know, we're always picking somebody's brain to get something, you know. Techniques were still coming about. You know, most of the shit you see today wasn't even being used back then. So, uh, yeah, back then it was really just a bunch of guys that loved what they were doing. You know, there was no group practices. You trained whenever you could train. You know, we had, I did a podcast last night with Misha Tate, and we were talking about that. Like, I, I would train Matt at, like, 11 o'clock at night on Sunday. Like, there was no barriers or there was, you know, you got to be here at 3.30 and we're running. Nah, it was just whenever you needed to train, everybody was there for you. We worked around it. And it was a, it was definitely a simpler time, and it was it was very exciting, and it was great to be a part of it. Talk about how some of the ideas of how preparation and training come about. And I I mean specifically in the terms of how I believe that MMA has become a martial arts unto itself at this point. I believe that the idea of MMA isn't really about mixed martial arts because mixed martial arts considers the idea that, you know, there are multiple aspects of martial arts that combine to make one form of martial arts. I think that martial MMA has pulled enough from other aspects of martial arts to create its own thing. But talk about how back in the day there was outliers and guys that were specialists like Matt was Matt Sarah was definitely a jujitsu specialist, but how you had to learn to incorporate those things to, 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 to be competitive. Uh, I mean, how you had to incorporate everything else. Right, 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 right. Well, I'll tell you what, Matt, you got to remember, I don't know if you really go back to the beginning of jujitsu, it was just jujitsu. You couldn't mention striking they they'd fucking ban you from the class like it was almost cult-like you know what i mean and everybody you know was following hoists you know put the foot jab out there and take the guy down or whatever he was trying to do but you know with matt i had to trick him back then i said look why don't we do the tie boxing just for conditioning it'll get your jujitsu better you know what i mean so i kind of <laughs> roped him in that way and then he <laughs> fell in love with the conditioning aspect because his jujitsu game did take off because 
he was really training his balls off. His cardio was through the roof, and his he would attack. He was he was a phenom back then. He really was. He would just piss through the class, and he accomplished a lot at that point in time. But I did have to trick him into the striking by saying, let's work the conditioning. If I would have said, let's work your striking, he would have said, no, the jujitsu was good enough. But I got I went through the back door on him, and once <laughs> I did that, he really did fall in love with everything. And then, you know, conditioning was paramount with him. He, he had a, We had a great time training together, and then same with everybody else, you know. And then certain guys, like, you know, just fell in love with, you know, whatever they weren't doing. You right. Know? And, then, and that becomes a problem, too, because Drago was a jujitsu guy. But he just loved to bang, man. He didn't give a shit. So that could have hurt him because maybe he should have implemented more of that. But he loves to fight that guy, and that's what he wanted to do. And almost like a Gaethje now. A Gaethje, you know, there's somebody asked me about his strategy. I'll tell you exactly what his strategy is. He's going <laughs> to put on a fucking exciting fight. Right, He's going right. forward. He don't give a fuck. I don't know He's going to hit gonna, you. Yeah, I don't He's going to hit you hard. Right. Yeah, I don't know how long it's going to last, but. It will be an exciting fight, guaranteed. There's no way it can't be with that guy. So right. some guys, you know, fall in love like he's a wrestler, but you would never know it. He's never implemented his wrestling. So, you know, that's part of the game. Do you I'm think really sorry. Some I just, guys I, I, I'm really sorry. I just got to – I can't get the image in my head of Matt, a young Matt Sarah going up to you saying, so you're telling me if I learn to kick as hard as I can – my yeah. submissions will get better. And you just go, yes, exactly right. <laughs> your you arm know, I'm bars, gonna, I'm gonna, if I'm you gonna, punch, if you can punch through a brick wall, your arm bars will get better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me tell you something. You know, what's funny back then, like he fucking tortures me now every chance he gets. <laughs> but back then it was a little different. I used to torture him. I was younger. He was probably about 21 years old. So what you're seeing is him really getting even with me for all those years. You know, I don't know when it, I don't know when it switched. I think it was when he got on that reality show. He just went fucking berserk. But uh, <laughs> well, still... I was just gonna say I I, I saw I just saw a, a replay of you uh, pre uh, inducting him into the UFC Hall of Fame. I've never seen more ball busting in such yeah. a short amount of time than you guys up there. Yeah. We we couldn't even do that right. We had to we had to fucking carry it right on the stage. But one of the best moments of my life was inducting him into the Hall of Fame. You know what I mean? Like for martial art wise, it was just, it was it was it was a blast, man. I was there with him from the beginning, and it was it felt it felt great, man. It really did. How did you and Matt become you and Matt? How did you guys meet up? How did you guys make the connection and start training together? I mean, look, the short story is I met him in jujitsu. I had a. A martial art instructor of mine, Paul Vunak, he was in California. He was training with the Gracies. He said, hey, dude, he called me one day. He said, look, there's a guy, Craig Kukak, coming to New York. Get with this guy. This is probably early 90s. You'll be way ahead. In a year from today, you'll be way ahead of everybody. So Kukak came. I would go in there. There would be like three guys in the class. Like nobody knew what jiu-jitsu was. And, I mean, he started asking me, I think I could make money doing this. Uh, nobody's coming in. And I used to bring students from my school on Saturdays just to give him some business. I felt bad for him. And the whole process of that, the UFC hits and um, in between. So the UFC hits. And then by the time I go back, I, I dislocated my shoulder, you know, sparring or fighting, whatever the fuck, but I dislocated my shoulder. I was out for like six months. And then when I went back, the UFC had hit in between that time and the place went from four students to 30 students, one session, like to 60 students. It was packed. We were in like a judo uh, thing. And that's where I met 
Matt, and coincidentally, I just got married and bought a house down the block from him or like half a mile. And that's how it kind of started. But I mean, that's the one thing. Before that, while my arm was in a sling, he had come to the school. He wanted to get a friend of his. This is what a good guy Matt is. So there's a 17-year-old kid. He comes into the school with his buddy who was having problems. He thought it would be a good idea for him to train. I had a good reputation. He brought him over. We start talking about jujitsu. I don't even think he believed I was doing jujitsu, but, uh, but that was it. So I met him once. And then when the classes, the UFC hit and I saw him in the city, uh, we said, oh, shit, man, I, I remember you. You came in and then that was it. You know, where do you live? And I said, I'll give you a ride, you know, that type of shit. And that's how it started, man. I met him at jujitsu. And obviously he went on to become great and I sucked and I just quit. <laughs> what, what about Matt? made him want to go into UFC at, in the beginning stage? And what are some of the things that make him special as a fighter? Dude, that guy, well, first off, he was a street fighter. I mean, still to this day, Kevin, I think we're going to get killed very shortly. Yeah, he's got that. I know a few can, people no, like No, the motherfucker that. can't control himself yeah. now. Like, liabilities. Like. I was actually <laughs> just going to, I was just going to ask as a, as a side note, because he he's famously very like, open with how he's feeling publicly yeah, yeah. just like through the show is there a limit to how red his face can get <laughs> definitely not <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. and i bring it up every time his face turns red trust me but now he's still he's still wacky man like i'll go to do the podcast with him in the city it's like it's a fucking adventure i'm like wow this is this is not going to turn out good and i mean you know we're getting old i mean it's not even the, you know Dude, I, I know a few people that are like that. My friend Monster Lobster, you know Monster Lobster. He's like that too. I love that guy, like the bottom of my heart, but he's just a liability. There's certain yeah. people that don't necessarily want to fight, but they're not exactly ever going to shy away from the opportunity yeah, yeah, and nah, the pops up for nah. that. They enjoy it. They got to make yeah. a little thrill out of it. Nah, it's, it's, uh, it's still, it's really still funny to watch. I'll be honest with you. But what I was saying, so as yeah. a 19 year old kid, he was, he was looking to fucking go to war with anybody. You know what I mean? But in a, if you look at his personality, he's still a very funny guy. So he was the perfect person for me. He, he, he could throw down, but he had a great sense of humor and right. he didn't walk around like with a chip on his shoulder no. looking, but he wasn't going to turn it down if it came his way. And he definitely wasn't going to take shit from nobody, but he handled everything with a, with a great sense of humor, which I, I love. I think that's the best combination you could possibly have. You know, he's not a mean guy, very humble, very level headed, but there's certain situations. He just flies off the, off the radar. Man, I met him one time for the first time at Matt Arroyo's when he came out to teach a seminar and we went to Matt's house and watched the fights. And he asked me, I said, hey, man, it's super nice to meet you. And he said, hey, you want to take a picture? And I was like, I didn't want to be that guy. And I said, no, it's cool, man. Don't worry about it. And I think I offended him. And like for the rest of the night, I just sat on the other side of the room because I was scared out of my mind. I'm trying to, I don't want to make it weird and double down. So I just kind of let it roll. But I thought for nah. sure Matt Sarah was going to kick my ass. Nah, he's, words with me. Yeah, he's, he's a great dude, man. And really great. Always, always laughing. Like every day we're laughing about something. So it's <laughs> well, it's great. It's funny you say that like he's gonna fly off the handle and, and kill both of you guys because there was that famous incident where he was, I think he was at a cheesecake factory or something. Oh, like yeah, yeah. That was in ago. Vegas. Yeah, that was the <laughs> night be night before the 
the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame. So yeah. some guy decides I'm gonna I'm gonna get so drunk I make the worst decision of my entire life and try and fight Matt Sarah, yeah. UFC Hall of Famer. Did you guys That's tell him afterwards? Idea. Hey, you know he's going in the martial arts Hall of Fame like tomorrow. You dumb shit. <laughs> that guy was hammered out of his mind. Yeah, he yeah, was. Yeah. I think what Matt was mounted on him. He was calling the chairman of the board. He was, you know, <laughs> you know love he, that shit. He, he was that guy. You know what I mean? He was. You gotta love calling, that shit. You know who I am. You know. So. <laughs> right. But you could see he even handled that pretty funny. It was no yeah. what. That was like, like I'm. I'm not trying to hurt you. It's just yeah, like yeah, let's yeah. just calm down. <laughs> but again, there was a sense of he wasn't. He he was he was handling it with a sense of humor because he also was tipping. He was also enjoying it a little bit, which leads back to uh, leads back to, our, to the moral of the story there, I guess. Yeah, no, definitely. But so back then, that's what he was. He he. These guys love to fight. Um, and hold on a second. Let me just yeah, you good. Take your time, bubble. But and that's it, man. He's uh. Nothing. I don't think anything's changed in 25 years. So <laughs> I think that's the moral of the story. You never grow up. You never grow up, and that's it. You just keep thinking young, and you'll be young. Let's go back to you now. Let's talk a little bit about why you decided to start training jujitsu. Or I, actually, I just ahead, I would, uh, real quick, uh, just because I know, like, uh, uh, according to your your bio on the on the the. The law MMA website. You've been training since like martial arts in some form or another since the seventies. What was your what was your introduction to martial arts? My introduction was uh, really was a kung fu style Chinese kung fu wusu. Uh, was an Alan Lee style in the city, and there was a guy in the neighborhood that was training there, and that's how I got my start, really. Okay, so tr so super traditional, super yeah, traditional like horse dance for an hour, you know that type of shit, yeah. <laughs> couple of forms here and there yep how and did then, how did you how did you like that stuff at the at the time i liked it i liked i still like it today you know what i mean i still respect it i still think it gave me a foundation and and i you know i had to pick the one nutcake in the neighborhood that's all he liked doing was sparring so it was even <laughs> as a 14 year old kid getting the shit beat out of you by an older guy was was acceptable you know so it, i i learned i really learned a lot and the guy was a physical fitness specimen way ahead of his time um, I remember one day, uh, he knocked on my door and like, again, he was my teacher. So I didn't really like, you know, I wasn't hanging out with the guy, but he gave me an article. He said, read this, this guy's knows where it's at. And it was one of Bruce Lee's first articles he ever written, had written in black belt. So he definitely saw the future. He was for a, excuse me, for a traditional guy. I thought he was way ahead of his time. Physical fitness wise, he was a freak. And, uh, I think he gave me a good foundation. He kept me motivated enough to you know keep doing it so i think that's one thing i got out of it for sure Man, ray you're telling uh stories about bruce lee from black belt magazine you're tipping your hand there brother we know how old you are now my <laughs> man. Well, I, I don't make no i'm not i'm not hiding anything on the age at this point <laughs> that fucking shit's over and i think we should take this time to wish uh our co-host kevin gallagher a happy upcoming 82nd birthday you're looking great buddy you're yeah. beautiful kevin you're looking good I'll tell you what, man. Enjoy it now. It goes quick. I know you heard that. <laughs> shit, it's my a, man. It's a cliche, but uh, I'll tell you what. I no. keep hitting these milestones. I remember I used to say, oh, 30, everything just kind of fell apart. 35, it gets worse. And every other milestone, like 40, like it yeah. doesn't get better when you hit that next milestone. More yeah. things quit working, and it's harder to get back in that. Uh, that's that's exactly what happens, man. And then it's like, hey, what do you do to work out? And the answer should be, 
anything I can do. You know right, what I mean? Exactly. You start eliminating shit. You know, I'm not right. kicking anymore. Now I'm down to, I'm down to like knees and elbows and boxing. Then, well, I'm sure another two years, uh, the knees will be gone. I'll be, you know, I'll be down to a jab by the time I'm 80. I'm, I'm thinking that's what I'm left with. But It'll be a jab, damn good jab, jab, though, jab. Yeah, but that jab's still pumping, baby. It'll be a damn good jab, my yeah. man. Well, just so let, okay, yeah, yeah. I, I just wanted to go back real quickly to to Bruce Lee for yeah. for like so many martial artists in every discipline. He was the the gateway in a lot of ways. He he broke open the idea of you can really use this stuff to defend yourself. No mysticism, just like punching, kicking, doing what you got to do. Uh, is that did you immediately go into Jeet Kune Do like after reading that, or was it a slower? Well, I didn't, I didn't have access to it. Right. So I had known about it, but you know, they were only training in California. And, um, I was probably at that time, even at 16, 17, I don't think I could grasp what it really was, but you know, you obviously you watch the movies and you just stoked out of your head. And, you know, back then you got to put yourself in the seventies, man, it was, there was nothing going on like that. You, you didn't have this. And, you know, speaking of that, you know, it's funny, you'll, you'll appreciate, pre, appreciate this, Kevin. And, uh, so supposedly like Holes Gracie was a personal trainer in New York for like four years during the early eighties. So imagine hooking up with him right. at that time and getting the jump on everything. Right. Like there's an interview with him and a wrestling guy. You got to catch it on YouTube. Fascinating story about, uh, how this wrestling guy went to Brazil as a, like a liaison for wrestling and how they hooked up and they, they won a couple of Sambo championships together. The friendship you would never have known existed, existed, but look up holes, Gracie and Bob Anderson. I guarantee you'll love that. Uh, you'll yeah. Love they, that for, for those of you guys that don't know, some of you guys know a little more savvy, you know, the history of, uh, of jujitsu holes. Gracie is famously almost the same type of personality that, that you could consider to be Bruce Lee. As far yeah. as he actively, when he was one of the first jujitsu practitioners to, to break away from the jujitsu was everything and go out and train Without with legitimate wrestlers and train with legitimate judo practitioners and Samba practitioners. Yeah. And he's really credited with advancing modern jujitsu to where it is now because what's, of that. what's crazy about holes is that he had, like I think it was four or five black belts that he himself directly promoted. It was some really small number. I and I one of my, my first jujitsu teacher ever was a, a guy named Marcio Stambowski, and he was one of those very few guys that like knew holes before he tragically passed away in a hang gliding accident, which is just about. I mean, what else was going to get the guy? One know? of the biggest yeah. strategies in jiu-jitsu, for sure. One of the biggest oh, strategies. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. All yeah. the innovation that was lost. You know, just yeah. that guy. He was one of the first innovators. And that, that like, that idea of lineage, you know, even though jiu-jitsu is still, is, like, is considered a martial art, that I, that old idea of, like, having a strong lineage is still really uh, yeah, well, really present yeah. there. Listen to the interview. I'm telling you, it's, it's mind-blowing, especially you guys are into jiu-jitsu. You'll... You'll love it. But the, the point being, there was nothing back in the 70s. You know what I mean? So uh, I don't know where I was going with that. But I, the, the point was, imagine hooking up with a guy that was really real, like jujitsu. Imagine having a 10-year jump on right. everybody with right. jujitsu would have been crazy. Right. You know, I, you would, but you wouldn't never even known it was there because you wouldn't have given a shit. You know what I mean? Like, right, you didn't appreciate been, what you were getting. Exactly. You wanted yeah. to do the cotters and all the other stuff. That's what yeah. you were used to. You know, I, I remember back when, when Hoist was first coming out back in the late nineties, maybe 
maybe 99, 98, I was training jujitsu at a super small school under some Brazilian purple belt that just happened to move to the South Florida area near the school, the, the, near the school that I went to college at. And, um, I trained with him for about a month and I broke my ankle training and I had to quit. And I look back on that and think to myself, good God, if I would have stayed with that, at that, yeah. at the time, I was boxing like a crazy person. I was really good. Yeah. And I wrestled. I was a tough kid back then. Yeah, if yeah, I yeah. would have stayed with it and continued through, I can only imagine where it would have led to at this point. But yeah, it's crazy, man. Yeah. And back then, a purple belt was huge to have in your corner. It was like yeah. a god. Oh yeah, it was hard to come by, man. If you were a fucking purple belt, you were you were on yeah. another level. I think I mean? let's talk about that a little bit because that's something can that I, people can I get one more yeah, one, go ahead, more, go ahead, go ahead, one yeah. more old guy joke yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> it's kind of like and you guys will appreciate this. It's kind of like that caveman who's like, Hey, did you hear Craig is starting to cook his food before eating it? And like not just eating raw meat. And everyone's like, He's crazy. <laughs> He's insane. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. Let's talk about the difficulties you encountered in those early days of jujitsu. Just being able to find legitimate jujitsu instruction. Now, you talked about how you, you got to train under Kukos, which is a huge thing because that was a very huge thing for the West huge. Coast. Fact, yeah. For that guy to come out there. My instructor, right. Rob Kahn, who was what he used to train with Hoist out in, out in, uh, in Torrance, talked about that as being a pivotal moment in the history of jujitsu. But just talk about the, the idea of, you know, we're talking about before the age of YouTube. Before the age yeah, yeah. of being able to have Without a access. Doubt. Right. It's hard. I mean, you got you to gotta put yourself in that position when – Look, even when I was growing up, and if a guy fought in Thailand, you you could only find out about it like nine months later in a magazine. Like it, right. there, there was no real time. You 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 know you're uh, hardwired in. You're streaming the fight, or it was crazy, man. So you're right though. Back then, there is no YouTube, so you had to try to grab guys and get info any way you could. You know, so uh kukok was was uh was horian's first black belt and he came to new york to start teaching and he mm -hmm. formed a partnership with henzo but henzo was still in brazil and that's where we got our first taste of jujitsu you know so like it it would be correct to say that at those times if you wanted to be a martial artist in any regard you had to work for it so it, you had to be truly truly dedicated to the martial arts in order to get quality uh, instruction because you had to go look for it. It wasn't like uh, there was a jiu-jitsu school in every corner. Yeah, and then, you know, I, I always had a school for a long time, so I started bringing in a guy, Pedro Sawa, which was, I think, Kixon's first black belt. What a sweet, what a great guy. If you ever get a chance to meet him, talk to him, roll, whatever. I mean, you know, he's he's got to be in his early 60s now too, but what a great guy. So I would bring him in. And, uh, you know, to try to get a jump on everything. And he'd come in a couple of times a year. And then, you know, and then matches started getting really fucking good, man. By the time he hit purple belt, man, he was a fucking monster. So I just started, you know, staying with him. And I probably even started drifting away at that point because I was doing more promotions and uh, and stuff like that. But uh, at what it, point did you? believe that matt sarah was going to be the guy going to be the one that he was was going to go out and do things and make it happen uh, dude that was pretty pretty early on dude he used to just even as a blue belt he would just piss through that class there's nobody back then that will tell you anything different i guarantee you that you know even talk to danaher you know he used to be one of matt's students and now you know matt actually goes to him and grabs ideas because danaher's a genius but even if you ask john about back in the day that guy was unstoppable so that was that was a pretty easy read you know yep 
So I have I have a few more questions for you because I'm I'm having fun with this and you, I, I, I I'm going to be perfectly honest with you I had no idea about your real connection to the jiu-jitsu world in that regard I didn't know you trained in all these aspects and you've been around the game yeah. I, I knew you were striking coach and then you had an extensive yeah, yeah. martial arts background but I had no idea that you you were that involved in the jiu-jitsu community so yeah. what I want to ask you is this coming from someone that's been involved in a wide array of martial arts. Uh, you know, traditional martial arts to not boxing, which is a little bit less traditional. What do you feel like are some of the benefits of having that traditional martial arts background? And then what do you feel like makes it different to jujitsu? Why do you feel like maybe jujitsu kind of nails it home a little better? Are there similarities, differences in, along well, that road? Well, I think the first thing is that you appreciate the, you know, the traditional martial arts because when you get a real art, you could see the difference. So if you think outside the box, it's a great thing for you. You know what I mean? So the, my first impressions of jujitsu when I was doing it was like, wow, whoever put this art together, what a fucking great job they did from a martial arts standpoint. Like Helio, if he's the guy, I mean, just even all their basic shit. You know, remember they used to have the thing 30 moves and, yeah. you know, yeah. the, do you remember going back that far? But yeah, I, you, I, I know that that's that's uh, Helson's. Thing. I, Rob Kahn tells me all the time yeah. when you went to go train with Helson, when if you ever got to take a class with Helson at Torrance, he literally sold the same. He showed the same twenty seven moves, and that was it. Now yeah, he would yeah. show you amazing details exactly. that you would never know about the the oompa right, that, that, exactly. that make it seal it home. But he's only going to show you twenty seven moves, right? But the, the, the moves, is, it, it was that was still pretty cool. You know that they, that shit was still squared away. And look, if you hold like what I love with Matt today is when I watch him teach the basics. You still can't get away from that, man. You know what I mean? You're getting choked, get your old, you know, get your shoulders. Yeah, there's other ways out, but the basics I don't think will ever do you wrong at this point. I still to this day, and that is the sign of a good art. You know what I mean? That like things didn't change that much to where, you know, an elbow escape is gonna get you killed or something. You know what I mean? So it still holds it still holds water, the basics, which I think is great. So yeah, I think I always, you know, yeah, go ahead. I, I always got to mean, kind of feel bad. I always yeah, go no. back to when you when people talk about the basics and thinking about the different aspects of martial arts that there are. So when you think about a martial art, you know, there's there's you know, you could do the sporting aspects of it. Where that if I'm going against another skilled practitioner, my idea of what I have to do kind of expands a little bit wider. MMA, you know, MMA is a fight, but it's still not really a real fight because it's engaged on two guys that are trying to work inside of some range of rules to to, to win a fight. And then there's also the real martial art which is protecting yourself against someone that's actually trying to harm you and when yes. you go that down far the rabbit down that far down the rabbit hole and you're trying to protect yourself against someone that doesn't really isn't really trained and is trying to attack you going 100 percent full goal at you because the fight's crazy that like yeah. fight in the world like nah, you start saying. to see the basics and how important they really are and how yeah. easy it is like i gotta do like four things in a street fight that's it and it's game over yeah. Yeah, exactly. Hey, look, and the other thing is, too, when, so when we started out, and again, I'm not a jujitsu guy. I don't want to come off as a jujitsu guy. Yeah, but, but you've been around, I, and you know your I shit, have, I can I, tell. I did love doing it. It was great. You know what I mean? I just chose a different path instead of pursuing that because I I, I thought it was necessary, but whatever. But but back in that day, man, there were headbutts were legal, even in some of the fights, and the jujitsu was definitely taught differently. You were never on your back not defending the headbutt. And then we would throw on the cages and headbutt the shit out of each other if we could when right. we were playing around in the guard back then. But so by making it a sport, you did lose aspects of even Brazilian jiu-jitsu 
that you wouldn't even know existed. And that that's one of them, man, was really like how to defend the headbutt. And it was always brought up, you know, and now today you don't have to worry about that. You know, you don't have to worry about up kicks if you're on your knees, you know, socket kicks if you're on your back. You know what I mean? So that shit makes a big difference. But it was addressed back in the day. It wasn't like they never addressed it. It's just you don't have to address it now. So you forget about it, you know. I we, think we, we get that just in a super minute level, just with like reaping the knee. You know, it's such a small thing that you wouldn't even really think of, but it's like it's yeah. illegal in competition. But I remember my coach Chris telling me straight up, but I, I don't want to get it twisted. If someone's messing with your crap and you've got the yeah. that light lock, reap the knee, reap it all day. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, it breaks yeah. their face down and then falls them on the ground because yeah, the, yeah. if they don't, their knee pops out. So they don't yeah, yeah. have an opportunity to come yeah. up and get a I, I just wanted to like we were talking about you you mentioned that you've been a, a deeply you've been deeply connected to to Matt um and his development as a martial artist. So you but he was a jujitsu guy and you had to you had to like basically trick him into striking right at the time the beginning yeah what was it like where and like uh the the other big name that comes to mind is chris, is chris weidman and another amazing grappler was it a Phenomenal. similar was it a similar difficulty with getting him to no, strike definitely no. not no he walked in wanting to do everything weidman you gotta remember so weidman comes in you know 10 years 15 years after i met matt you know so we're already Things are different already. Everything's progressing a little bit. But, uh, no, Weidman wanted to – he would have went in the Golden Gloves his first week in the gym. He just wanted to challenge himself. Uh, he he picked up stuff pretty quickly. And his wrestling at that time, like what I saw like in 2010, was way higher than any level of – you know, you'd have guys that maybe won the counties or were a good high school wrestler or maybe wrestled in college. But this guy was a D1 – uh, you know, uh, four-time All-American, you know, beat, you know, he beat Bader, he beat Phil Davis, uh, you know, he was in the Nationals. He he was at fucking different level, and he was young. Uh, he was hungry as a motherfucker, and, you know, he was a big kid, man, at 185. I, you know, he he's struggling now, but I, I'll tell you, he did accomplish what he wanted to accomplish, and I would have never thought, like he would have struggled as much as he did, but you know, it could be occasional. He did have, he's got three kids. He's got a wife, you know, he, things change, you know what I mean? But I tell you, cause I'm going to say this, the fights that he's losing now, if he was coming up, he would have never lost. I guarantee it. it's it mindset. Something, you know, happened. He's still got the capabilities, but there's a lot on his plate and you know, the injuries mound up. He's had 23 surgeries, you know, yeah. but to get to your question coming in, he was a different, different case altogether he knew what he wanted you know me and matt it was experimental we didn't know where anything was going you know yeah. everything was new you know weidman already had a sense and he saw matt you know win a championship as a long island guy he knew what he wanted to do he was talented and I, i'm going to tell you as a white belt he was tapping black belts which kevin you know is almost unheard of if right. you if you would have said at least back in the day even super almost, athletes yeah, even you know, even back in the day, if you were a blue belt, you never tapped a brown belt. You know, yeah, those days are kind of gone. You know, right, now it's right, right. more athleticism and you know the time you're putting in. But Weidman as a white belt was just fucking crushing everybody. He was just too big and strong, and he picked up. You know, I saw him at the very beginning work off his back for a wrestler. I thought was phenomenal. I remember calling Matt and go, "Hey, dude, this guy's different." 
his fucking God looks really good. He don't even give a shit about being on his back. Normally, the wrestlers, yeah, that's tough. the last place they want. Yeah. They didn't even they don't want to entertain the thought. Exactly. And that's how they get beat a lot because they, they turn up to their knees. And when, once you let someone that's proficient in jiu-jitsu, Listen, I don't care how good you are. They get on your yeah. back, you're done. Yeah, Kevin, it's like a power punch who knocks everybody out. The first time he gets in trouble, he doesn't know how to clinch. Right. That's what gets him killed. He doesn't 100%. really know how to clinch. And that's what happened. So same thing with the wrestlers. They don't want to be on their back. Well, they did. This is I'm going back. I'm saying yeah, old, old school at that time. But he was willing to be on his back, and that was never a problem. So yeah. whatever. But different, different, different thing with Weidman. He came in hungry and he kind of knew what he was doing me and matt were just like martial arts guys just experiment and matt loved to fight i loved to train it was a different different vibe that's so a his, very his, his commitment from day one was just unquestioned that's a very important Crazy. distinction you know when, when you yeah. talk about jujitsu and mma in the early days that you were coming up with with, with matt sarah versus a time when chris weidman came out we had already established parameters for what was successful exactly. in, in MMA at that point. Like you, you had to understand that you're not just going to go in there and be this world-class wrestler and be successful in MMA. I think uh, Ben Askren was the only one that maybe kind of uh, led that road anymore. In modern how, how times, he, he was exposed. How yeah. dare you, Kevin? His spinning back fist is unquestionably lethal. Don't you dare, all right? I mean, listen, <laughs> hey, look, I've grown to love Asker. I mean, I think he speaks well. He's great for the sport of wrestling, mm -hmm. but his progression in striking is a little mind-boggling. Yeah. <laughs> it was almost non-existent. I yeah, mean, he, he held to the strategy of, I'm just going to take as many punches to the dome as I possibly can yeah. with my arm extended because he knew once he got a hold of it, it was over. But yeah, like, what was the but, idea of getting hold of you? And it goes to the credit of how good his fucking wrestling is. Because yeah, you knew he wasn't going to do anything else and he could still right. get you and down. He's still which good. Is, he's still which good. is insane, which is the sign of a really good, good tactician. Do you, so I'm, I'm going to ask, we'll just go down devil's aggregate with this. Do you feel like he was exposed once he moved into that next level? Or do you feel like maybe there could have been some extenuating circumstances? Maybe he competed a little bit too long. You know, that that knee from Mastival, God bless his heart, was still. Eh. Maybe a little bit of a lucky shot. I don't. I'm not saying it was lucky yeah. because there was definitely strategy involved to it. But you know, when someone gets knocked out in, in four seconds, you can always say, "Wow, you know what the hell just happened?" Yeah. Nah. nah, it was only a matter of time. You know, yeah. what I mean, because everybody's defensive wrestling was getting better. You're yeah. at a different level. No, nah, it was he. He didn't progress the way he should have progressed. You know, and look, even with Damian Maya, look what happened there. He still you had no punches. Mean? Yeah, right. You know, became but then on the ground that's was a was a major problem. So look, his wrestling is is fucking phenomenal. And he right. did the he did the best with the least not the least because he had the wrestling, but he did do great considering he never really got to the other, you know, disciplines. I think he did fantastic. But I think it was only a matter of time and the better guys he got with was gonna be a problem. What do you think uh makes wrestlers? so adaptable to MMA? Well, first off, work ethic, because we have a kids program now at the gym, which for the first time in the last couple of years, these kids in high school and even elementary school, dude, they are wrestling every fucking day, 24-7, 365 days a week. And it's and they're going live. So it, that's a different thing. You're not just rehearsing moves. You're not, you know, it's the, the grind in wrestling, what I've seen, and the amount of time these guys put in before they even get to college is phenomenal. So I think mentally it sets them apart from from anything. It's a, it's a hard go, man. You get a guy that wins the states or 
you know, he's a county champ. It's a big fucking deal out here because Long Island's got a pretty good wrestling program. Yeah. So that's what I see. And I think it just sets them, uh, it sets them apart as far as discipline and, uh, just the drive and the desire to win. It's, uh, yeah, you, you learn you how know, to grind. You learn how to grind, man, better than anything I've seen. You know, the problem is you could do it in boxing, but you're going to get your fucking brains beat in. There's no other way of doing it, and that's not healthy at this point. You know, so no. wrestling, you might have other injuries, but your brain's going to be intact. Boxing, you could get there, but, man, you're taking a big, you know, the risk is now becoming greater and greater. And it stinks because I think nothing builds balls better than boxing, to be able to stand there, take a punch, and give a punch. Everybody should be forced to do that if they're going to fight because that's what fighting is. And then if you don't have to get hit, perfect. Could you actually, uh, on that note, could you tell us more about, I know, Kev, you got a, a lot of experience with boxing, but Ray, um, you started traditional, but then you, you eventually got to boxing. Uh, how, how was it getting to there? Like, what, what brought you there? Well, I'm going to say with the Jeet Kune Do, so with the Jeet Kune Do, so that was probably like 1984. Um, you know, they had, uh, they covered everything, boxing, Thai box. They always had the best Thai boxes going out to California at the time because everybody wanted to learn Jeet Kune Do. So you had Savat guys, you had Judo guys. So they, they took the best from everybody that they had to offer. And Richard Bustillo, who I was close to, was a Hawaiian boxing champ, I think, but he was big on the boxing. And I would always say, Richard, why, why don't you get more credit for the boxing? He's like, because everybody does it. It's not a big, you know, like everybody wants the mystery, the kicking and, the, you know, you know what I'm saying? But boxing, we grow up like that. You know, everybody grows up boxing, you know, uh, you know, having a slap fight or whatever it is. So he really was a big influence on the boxing. And look, it's your first line of, you know, attack when you're standing up. And if you could punch hard, that's always a, a big, big advantage. So. What are what are some of so I I have a particular thought process on this but some what are some of the things that separate boxing from other stand up martial arts in 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 terms of its efficiency and translation into MMA? Ah, uh, just the timing you develop from sparring and like again the ability to get punched in the face and come right back with yeah. something I think is huge. Like even when you're kicking, you could keep the distance a little more. It sucks getting kicked in the leg and kicked yeah. in the head, but right. it's a little different. It gives you a different sense of uh, you know, to be able to think under pressure when a guy's trying to punch your head in is is a big asset, I think. And yeah. like again, I wouldn't hardcore it too much. I mean, I always did, but now you know, I try to think of smarter things to do but uh i think that ability that that that's what it gives you is, is the ability to really think under pressure uh and every art offers something but i think that's the biggest thing with boxing no look nobody wants to get punched in the face no, that's the no. thing so when you accept that what else are you going to do to me you know what I, mean? I always like, say that about martial arts in general like it, it, there's there, there's nothing in the world like getting punched in the face. Nothing that Nothing. you can, no way to duplicate it because no. every ounce of your body is telling you, whoa, this is yeah. not right. This, is, this isn't supposed to happen. So you flinch yeah. back, you run away, your fight or flight kicks in automatically. And to truly learn how to fight, you have to be able to conquer those demons because there's certain parts in fighting. If you start to pull back, now your chin comes up and now you're giving oh, yeah. yourself more an opportunity. You're going to pump short on your punches. There's something about learning how to fight those natural reflexes that are so ingrained into your brain when everything is telling you to get the hell out of the way that makes exactly. you learn to be a fighter. Cause no, there listen, are certain like, points in every fight. It, there's certain points when you just got to say, you know what, this is a fight. I got to bite down on my mouthpiece and I got to let my hands go. And the best man's going to win. 
Yeah, and, I, and I'll tell you, you got to look, and you you see when guys don't want to get hit, it's ugly. Yeah. It looks ugly when they it start worse. getting under pressure. It gets worse. It gets. Right. Uh, I just before this, I don't know where it came across my feed, but even Holly Holm against Ronda Rousey, right. she was hitting her with that straight left. It just started going downhill very quickly. Whereas a person who was used to that, not happening. It wouldn't have happened. It I always wouldn't. use that she, analogy when I talk about that, when I bring that up. I always yeah. talk about that Holly Holm fight because it's very obvious when people want to talk about Ryan Rousey's yeah. lack of experience in stand-up yeah, yeah. in that fight because she just she just looked like – it seemed to me like no one ever hit her. And someone exactly. finally hit her and she didn't know what to do. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, you could you could see that. And I, I, I think I heard – I'm not sure if this is true, but I think even sparring partners had to sign a non-disclosure non agreement, and that's always a bad sign. That's never – That, that yeah. is never a good sign, man. You know what I mean? So, Ray, I, I'm going to go into possibly controversial territory. Uh, part of Ronda's legacy is her coach. Uh, Edmund Targaryen, <laughs> as, as a guy who's I'll, produced more if, than if a this few stays in, please solid, give me some dirt on Edmund. More nah, than nah, a few nah. solid you're, champions. You're how does good. Edmund? How do you feel about a guy like Edmund being a coach? <laughs> Listen, Edmund's always been nice to me. This is how I'm going to answer it. He's always been nice to me. So what am I going to do? I can't badmouth the guy. And I could tell you, as a coach, there's been fighters I've trained that I wouldn't want people attributing. You know, the way I teach to the way they're fighting. Some people just don't listen. And some people you can't get to do certain things. Right. And that's just the way it is. So, you know, he's been around. He's got to know what he's doing. But, you know, you can't. Like, I would never look at that and, you know, say he's a bad coach. You know, and again, he's always treated me respectfully. And that's all I could say, you know. Yeah, so I, I don't really know. Man. I haven't I haven't been in the gym with him. You know what I yeah. mean? So you're a good man, and, Ray. I can bring I can bring <laughs> up numbers. And, I can bring man. up numbers and stats, but I'm gonna allow you to have the out on this because you're a good man. And I know, well, no, no, I know no, no, no. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna kidding? put you on the spot like that. <laughs> right, well, uh, just pivoting a little bit, um you're we're talking about uh, guys that are capable of learning new skills regardless of where they're coming from. And I think a big example of that that we're seeing and we have seen for his entire career is a guy like uh, Tony Ferguson. I only bring that up because his journey mimics a lot of your the fighters that have had success under you. Yeah. Very strong wrestling background, you know, just a amazing yeah, yeah, yeah. stud grappler, uh, stud jujitsu, like not just wrestling, but jujitsu working off his back, you know, that triangle against Kevin Lee, just like legendary, this first uh, interim title defense or interim title bout. Uh, his first interim title bout, which is crazy to say, but um, he is also very famously advocated, uh, you know, uh, things like Wing Chun, like traditional martial arts. Gotta yeah, love him. Yeah, as a as em. as a guy who's who's been in both like traditional and modern. How how does that like that his approach? Uh, how do you view it? Well, I love it because he look. He's a little wacky. He's a great guy, but he is a little wacky. But when he's on that Wing Chun dummy. I got to tell you, I think it's fucking fantastic. I don't know if it's applicable to whatever the hell he's doing, but he's having a good, <laughs> he's having a good time. And, uh, you know, it, he, and he really doesn't even use it right, but it's, it's pretty fucking, it's, 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 it's entertaining. And I'll tell you what, man, I'm, I'm pulling for that guy. I think he's, I think he's awesome for that fact. That's a guy that thinks outside the box. 
He might actually think outside a lot of boxes. But, uh, <laughs> he might be but, out of his box. <laughs> yeah, he might be out of the box. There might not even be a box. <laughs> there ain't even a box there. Well, no there's more. that video. That video of him throwing the box around the gym. Yeah, so. I know, he's awesome. <laughs> well, I said, look, he don't give a fuck what anybody thinks. You got to love him for that. He's yeah, his man. own person, man, and he's super talented. And Kevin, I'm gonna say that that guy has to have fucking bricks in his hands because when you're done fighting that guy, you are busted up like yeah. nobody else, man. So if you he's watch every fight, every fight he's ever in, when he wins, you can there's automatically you can tell you don't yeah. even need to see the hand go up. You know yeah. who won and you know who Without lost. Without a fight. doubt, man. Because the other guy's face looks like hamburger meat. If you looked Without, at Kevin, yeah. if you look at Kevin Lee after their fight, you assume oh he must have gotten knocked out. Not some, like yeah. there's no his whole face is just yeah. in a, a short mess. period of time. Yeah. In a short period of time. Yeah. You know? So I, I think just, just in closing, I think I got one more thing I want to add. Just yeah. get your opinion on this. Um, so I, I think just the general consensus, and I would, I'd like to get your opinion on this. Like I I I think of jujitsu and boxing as in you know and wrestling as the most superior martial arts for self-defense simply because they're the only sports where you can actually compete at a very high level and go full tilt with one another to learn how to conquer those bingo. Right. Yeah, that's you know, it. yeah. Without a doubt. Thinking about that and incorporating the aspects of other martial arts, it might not allow you because again, like if you're doing, you know, if you're doing Kung Fu and you're working with a sword or you're, or you're doing right. uh Krav Maga and you're trying to take a knife out of right, somebody's right, hand, right, right. like it's not worthless, but it's never going to be the same until that guy is trying to kill you with the knife. So, Thinking along those lines with other guys that are cross-training in these less obscure, more traditional martial arts, it's important to realize that, like, yeah, you can laugh about that because a big thing with jiu-jitsu is guys talk about, oh, that's just worth, that's just stupid. I'm going to armbar him. Yeah, you may be able to do that, but he may be able to use that barrel roll to defend himself as long as he's applying it in real-life scenarios. What do you think about that, man? No, I think what you said is 100% true. Look, for the other arts that, you know, you're, you're, you're wielding some sword or you're doing – look, if you're having a good time, man, that's really what it comes down to. You know, like, well, we're all anti-kata, right? But I see a guy in the gym teaching kata to guys that are 70 years old. Now it's good. I'm like, any movement is good. So it, it's great to see some of these older guys doing – it's almost like a form of Tai Chi. You know what I mean? So you have to memorize stuff. It's good for your brain. You're getting up, you're doing something, you're moving. So everything has its place. As far as competing and going into the octagon, no, then you got to prioritize <laughs> exactly what you right. said. But you know what? To come out and to do some Tai Chi and to calm your mind, your monkey mind running all over the fucking place, it's not a bad thing if you could blend it together. And I, I think that's the next stage of, you know, getting a little, you know, like uh, meditation involved with some of them. Because this is brutal, man. Like what I watch is sheer brutality on a day-to-day basis. There's some really good guys in the gym. You could ask for Vola. I'm saying there's 20 guys that are really fucking good, high level. You only know five or six of them, but there's a lot of other people, man. And uh, you're not going to get there unless you put the real work in. But I think you have to come out, especially as you start getting older, and really chill out a little bit, understand how your body works, and really, really, really take care of your body. Because like I said, Weidman, 23 surgeries, uh, that's a lot, man. You know what I mean? And he's not done. You know, he's still got issues all over the place, as does everybody else. You know, you're not going to – you're going to hit a point in your career where you're going to start just 
you know, your knees, your shoulders, your neck, your back. It's it's tough. You know that. Just you just even, don't want to do it anymore. You get to the point yeah, yeah, where right, like you, you, you know. lose that fire because you think, what am I right. doing this shit for anymore? So you need it, but you better balance it is what I'm right. saying. I think that's really the next thing is to really learn how to balance it. Most of these guys are so high strung and they'll fight you at the drop of a dime. It's hard for them to do, but I'd like to see that in the future just – Learn. Even yoga, man, which I used to never really before. I think for these guys is great. I know Fravol is in there, and uh, you know he takes Weidman with him sometimes, and they do that hot yoga. It's fucking no joke, man. You better get on Maddie's no ass. He's getting fat. Last time I saw him, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna rat I, him out. <laughs> yeah, I only talked to him maybe two weeks ago after everything yeah. went down. I was so happy for him because I sensed that he was stressing out, and it wasn't really right to do to that kid. It really wasn't. You yeah. know what I mean? So. Uh, I think everything's going to work out. And that's a perfect fight for him. I love that fight for him. And unfortunately, man, we came out of the block quick. We were, I, I loved that fight because the guy's a boxer. Right. And we were working on some stuff. And then I just, you know, everything shut down, man. And yeah. I think he still would have did great because he's a grinder, but he would have, I was really looking forward to that fight. It just, I that, think that he's shit special, sucks. man. I really, no, I he's, think he's, he's special. A, listen, I really do, man. He's special for more ways than the fight. He's yeah. a really yes. sensitive, Yes. Nice fucking kid who wants yeah. to do the right thing. And, That's what and I way see. more intuitive and way more intelligent yeah, yeah. than than people think. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's certain days I'll be sitting there. We're not even looking at each other, and he'll just bring up a joke I made on a podcast right. and stuff. You know, yeah. he's not even looking at me. Yeah, like, right, I'm, right, right. I'm like, you know, you yeah. know what I mean? Like he he's just funny, man. He's a he's a nice kid, and his family, obviously, you know, they they're fucking great. So I I'm glad this worked out. I think it worked out for the best for him because I think he was stressing and. It really wasn't right, and that bothers me as a coach. It really does. I want—I don't want to see anybody go in there who's not totally into it, and this was out of his control completely. So it worked out for the better. All right. Well, um, in, my, in my closing, I would just want to know. Uh, I'm not sure if he's made any statements or if you're at liberty to say, but uh, you said uh, uh, Chris isn't done. You know, he still wants to go after it. Still wants to get some yeah. matchups. Does he have any idea, or do you have any idea what he's looking at in terms of next opponents, or if he's no, his next opponent looks like it's going to be Hermanson. Yeah. So, you know, like so that's, yeah. it, it's either Hermanson in July or they come up with somebody for June, you know, and then he, I think he'll fight because he's he's kind of been, you know, he's everybody's doing the same shit. They're training in their basement. They're grabbing guys. It's kind of weird. But, you know, it's like like, again, everybody knows how to fight. So they just got to get in shape and figure out ways to everybody's going to be in the same boat. So. You know, that awesome. that regard, I think it's good, you know. Before we sign off, I just want to make it a point to to let the world know what an amazing dude you are, brother. Because oh, you struck me. You struck me so well. I'm going to bring up one scenario that really sticks in my mind. I remember when we were in Madison Square Garden. We went to go see Matt Fofola's fight. And I remember seeing you in the in the, in the the parking lot of the hotel or the, you know, the ballet yeah. in the hotel getting in your car. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, ah, you know. I met you before. I we had dinner that one night. Like I could go up and bother Ray. He's in a hurry. He wants to get out of here. And I'm like, you know, I don't know. And finally, I said, let me go up and say hey to him. I'll be real quick. Take a quick picture and get out of here. And you spent about five minutes talking to me, embracing me, catching up, remembering the conversations we had with together. And I thought to myself, like, what an amazing, sincere person from someone that honestly didn't have to give me that amount of time that was on his way out the door it's refreshing to see people like you because you're an awesome dude and i love you i love you to death for that my man no listen man i told him he doesn't want to hear this but there's certain guys you meet 
that you just take a liking. That's why he calls me for the podcast. I don't give a fuck what I was doing. I'm doing it. I, if I can help dog. this guy, man, I'm helping him. I don't know why. I don't even know why. But I did this. There was something about him that was genuine and real, and that's what I fucking like. Not a backstab, but not a guy talking nah. shit, doing... I just like them. I'm a little, cra- I'm a little crazy, but we, we that, that, that's that's probably it. That's probably that, that's my fucking comfort zone, I guess. But he's just a good guy, you know. It's killing this guy. It's killing him. <laughs> when this shit's uh, all done, I'm coming up to see you guys in Long Island. I'm uh, you, you're Maddie gonna love it. If you don't, if, hey, hey, if you don't stop by me, I'm, I'm in the way. <laughs> we'll bring, bring, we'll bring this kid with us too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, come Ray, up. You'll have a great time. Seriously, Ray, you're, you're you're not like you know. I, I I'm intimately aware of how dope a guy Kevin is. There's no one else that could put up with me for as long as we do this show. So, uh, but know that you're helping me out too, man. And oh, no, no, uh, without a doubt, hey, honor to meet you, dude. For real. If you uh, think any of this shit can help you, call on me anytime you want. I'm here for you guys, man. You want to plug something before we call this thing off? Nah, right? definitely you're good? not. No, I, I'm good to go, man. Good, man. Good. All right. Well, All right. That's, a, that's another episode in the can of the Jiu-Jitsu Times podcast. Special thanks again to our immaculate guest, Ray Longo. You can catch him cornering some of the dangerous human beings to dangerous i just made a kevin gallagher yeah, right. <laughs> the most dangerous That's human beings to ever ever walk the face of the earth but in the meantime until he returns i have been your host kevin Ga- kevin bradley jesus i have been your host kevin bradley <laughs> oh, he's really always- rattled we're not editing this Fuck. out we're doing it i'm your host kevin bradley joined as always by my co-host kevin gallagher and we'll see you next time damn it wash your hands and be nice to each other we're out all right